You're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Welcome back, everyone, to the Primary Medicine Podcast. And today we have Dr. Pabani. He's back. It's been Yay. ages. Yeah, it's been so long. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. How I think s- I'm probably more excited than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited. How many centimeters of snow do you have where you are right now? 20, uh, 40, So 50? I live in the south, the balmy south of Ontario, and we probably have zero. Zero. <laughs> so it's snowing right now. Oh, there you go. Well, I'm in Ottawa and we're freezing our butts off. And uh, speaking of winter season in Canada, a eh? uh, winter season in Canada also happens to uh, lead to lots of accidents, bumps and lumps and bre- broken hips and broken ribs and concussions. So I have actually noticed that the amount of concussions I see during the wintertime in Ottawa tends to spike a bit. I don't know if, if you've had that. Uh, yourself, I mean, I actually, funnily enough, I see less sports-related concussions than ice-related concussions in my practice. Oh, I I actually see more ice-related. Of course, uh, I live in southwestern Ontario, where hockey is a big cultural thing. So um, I do see a spike, but that's from hockey. <laughs> so so it's yeah. ice again, but it's it, it's it, ice again. It's just a different. They should be wearing their helmets. Wearing <laughs> their helmets, yeah. Um, so yeah, if you if you've guessed, we're talking about concussions today, and because uh, they're they're relatively common, I, I tend to see a couple of a month, and we're becoming more and more aware of them. It's it's I guess a diagnosis that didn't used to be taken. Well, it didn't really exist that much. I mean, I remember when we were residents. It's sort of when it started getting big. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I guess it takes a Will Smith movie to actually make it popular. <laughs> right. Yeah, yes, exactly. It's, I, think, I think we both have seen enough that we can have a good discussion about it. So, so, so Wahid, you, what is your definition of a concussion? My definition is a head or neck. I, I count neck in there too. A head or neck injury from some sort of impact that leaves some sort of neurological or functional deficit that I can't diagnose by a anatomic means, as in from imaging or physical exam, I can't see any deficits on the head or neck. Right. So if you CT scan somebody with uh, who had a head injury, you wouldn't see anything specific. Now, I, I know that uh, if you read a bit of literature, sometimes the M- if you do an MRI, you can see some s- white matter damage. But again, it's it's not something that can be used as a diagnostic tool. I think if you do some functional imaging like PET scans, you can see some changes in the metabolism. But that that's a different point whatsoever. And it's, again, not really relevant clinically. I mean, Wahid, have you ordered a PET scan in your seven years of practice once? I per- Personally, no. And, and never, ever for... Uh a head injury. I've seen it for, of course, cancer patients, mm-hmm. but that is done through the specialized centers and I never even know how to interpret them. And again, I guess, the, right. Then the other point <laughs> about uh, concussions is it's a tr- usually a transient diagnosis. It tends to go away. Uh, some traumatic brain injuries don't. They, they leave some sequelae, but concussions tend to resolve most of the time. So he, uh, can you talk to me about some of the features of concussions that can help with their diagnosis? 
So concussions are confusing because you normally associate them with some sort of loss of consciousness, but that doesn't necessarily correlate. Um, there's people, uh, actually my most memorable one from this summer was a lady who uh, was uh, water skiing. I think it stopped abruptly and she flew forward and hit her head on the deck of the boat. Now, she didn't. She remembers the whole thing. Did not lose any consciousness, but about six months later, was still having headaches, nausea, uh, memory issues, irritability. So, the way I think of it is a head injury, which kind of leads to the similar symptoms of either a migraine or, as I was mentioning earlier, a dementia of some sort. Though those two things aren't acute thing. Well, I guess migraines are an acute thing, but. People with migraines typically know that they're migraines and they come out of nowhere versus an actual injury to the head. Yeah, actually, I sort of like your analogy of a migraine caused by a head injury because I guess a lot of some of the symptoms are very similar to migraine. We'll go through uh, through the symptoms that can help with the diagnosis. And I like the fact that you mentioned that a neck injury can also lead to a concussion. Uh, sometimes people don't realize that, but the, the force can actually move into your brain, and we see that often. And actually, again, another good point you made, the majority of concussions occur without loss of consciousness. I know in the if you look at the movies, in the Will Smith movie, it, you know, concussion was always related to somebody falling and then losing consciousness and so on and so forth, but that's not the case. In fact, I don't mm-hmm. think in my practice I've seen anybody lose consciousness with having concussion. Do you know anything about the pathophysiology of concussions? I know that it's not quite understood, uh, of course, <laughs> right. because we don't have imaging. So if, if we can't image it, of course, it doesn't exist, right? But it has something to do with the shearing of the white matter fibers. Or that's the most leading theory. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the idea is uh, the, the sudden movement, the impulse causes the, the white matter to to shear and to, to damage and there's there may be swelling that you can't really see and th- there's also this idea that be- because of this damage to the white matter that the, the nerve cells are in a in, in a transient neurotoxic state so a temporary neurotoxic state hence you get those symptoms the neurological symptoms the cognitive symptoms because of that damage and this neurotoxic state eventually will resolve now, we talked a bit about who we see in our practice being affected. So you see older people and, and hockey players, and I see middle-aged people who slip on the ice. But statistically, it's actually mostly males. It's actually quite a bit mostly males. It's some, almost 70%, depending on, on the country. And I think in Canada, it's around 60%. And it is mostly related to contact sports. So... Have you heard of something called stunt cheerleading? Like, do we even have that in Canada? We do, actually. I, w- I went to school at Western, and their cheerleading program was quite renowned. Um, there was something like national champs 20 years in a row or something ridiculous like that when I was there. As you see on those uh, teen movies where they do a whole whack load of stunts while cheerleading. <laughs> So you, I guess you can fall on your head. If, 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 oh, for sure. Because you see in those movies, <laughs> they fall on their heads sometimes because yeah. there's drama between people throwing them in the air and people who are jumping around. And and that, that can cause a concussion. The other thing that's very common, actually the most common is American football, as Will Smith has shown. And uh, hockey, obviously. And interesting enough, rugby, not so much. Uh, I guess with rugby, because you don't really have that extra protection, people are a bit more careful about the velocity of impact. 
Now, they do tend to get ear fractures, if you can call them that, and nose fractures, but concussions, relatively less. No, and actually, uh, the having played rugby in high school, you wear mouth guards, which do reduce your chances of concussions. Okay. And if you play rugby correctly, unlike football and hockey, where uh, checks and tackles are done more of the upper body, proper rugby players tackle at mid mid body to lower body because it's easier to take somebody down from that level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That so it's, it's it's interesting. You think rugby would be more injury prone, but it's not. It's actually much safer than American football if you look at the statistics, especially when you're looking at concussions. Mm-hmm. So what is I have my approach, but I want to hear about, about about your approach. Like how would you diagnose a concussion? What do you usually go through and how do you do it if if you're suspecting it in a patient? Oh, so I, I, as you mentioned, it's just a clinical diagnosis. I can't actually do any imaging and to bring it up. So the, my approach is I do a full neuro exam. And if I find something out of place on my neuro exam that I can't attribute to the imaging that I have gotten or will be getting, then I usually do that as my diagnosis. But it's more symptom-based. So if people can't function because of a head injury, then that's usually my my cue that there's a concussion that might be going on. So, so what are you saying initially? Is you saying, let's say somebody comes in, they hit their head, and maybe their their gait's unsteady, but the imaging shows nothing, like no actual structural abnormality. Then you suspect a concussion. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the the way I've approached it to try to remember is I've sort of approached it by clinical domain. It it's a it's a head injury that affects three clinical domains. So the, the physical, the cognitive, the neurological. So when you think about physical, and again, you can argue whether I'm categorizing this correctly, but that, that works for me, is a headache, the photophobia, the phonophobia, and the nausea, sort of the migraine-like symptoms. Although the headache usually isn't as intense as a migraine, but it can be uh, as quite functionally limiting, just like a migraine is. Then you have your cognitive domain, and that's the memory loss, the concentration, as well as the being quite irritable, uh, being very fatigued, or even being depressed. Um, and then you have your neurological domain, which is most commonly presents with an unsteady gait. So if you do the gait exam, uh, including the Romberg, and you know the, the 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 walking on your toes, walking on your heels, walking in a straight line, you can see some changes there in a concussion. Now. Well, he, do you use your do you use the SCAT five ever? Like, would you ever use it for a diagnosis, or do you tend to um, do it more clinically? I, yeah. So if I'm if I'm following somebody, I will pull it up, and that way I can keep tabs on their progress. But my initial because I'm I don't do sports medicine where I'm on the field, so my initial assessment is usually based on a, just a regular neurological exam. Yeah, yeah, you know that's it's a good point, and I've actually when I'm dealing with somebody that I know I'll be following on a regular basis, I I do do I do tend to do the SCAT five, especially if they've if they're a part of a motor vehicle accident, and the reason is is that this document might be required by the insurance company, as some kind of semi-objective way of assessing this person's concussion. It does take a good 
five to ten minutes. So it does make your appointment a bit longer. But I think if they've had a motor vehicle accident or you know you'll be following for a while, it's probably a good idea to do it. Um, and I'll give you a quick, quick story, actually. I had a patient with a complicated concussion. Actually, what happened is uh, the first time I met her, I was her son had cut cut himself open on his hand, and I was just gluing the hand together. And I was talking to to her; she was the mom, and she she sort of st- stopped talking and had a vasovagal syncope right in front of my eyes. Went right down and hit her head hard on one of the legs of one of the tables in the in in the office I was in. I felt fine right after. I did a whole syncope assessment, and if you guys listen to Kevin's podcast a couple of months ago, you know how to do that now. And and I ended up seeing her two weeks later with really severe concussion symptoms, um, which when I did the SCAT five was were even more severe than than we both thought because they they have all the all these memory questions and concentration questions. And even though she thought she was quite functional, so did I. Though she wasn't. Her memory was really bad for somebody who was healthy, and concentration wise, she was doing really badly as well. So I found the SCAT five quite helpful. And in her case, because it's becoming a bit of a post-concussion state, quite helpful as well for insurance purposes. So that's been my approach. Hey, you want to keep a, a good paper trail for when you get audited by the insurance company. Yeah, also it's good for the patient as well because so, they'll get the coverage they need. A, a quick aside, uh, and you probably deal with this more than I do, but so when do you, like when do you CT somebody after a head trauma? Do you have, do, yeah. you, do you follow the, the rules or what, what has been your approach so far? So that's a good point. So I used to follow the CT head rules. But because I started working more in the hospital and I'm seeing elderly people whose, let's say, histories aren't very clear or there might be some underlying cognitive issues, I have found, and I think it's just my county, has a high number of, and I've been fooled more than once. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm much more liberal with my CT heads for people who come in with headaches and such. So I'm probably not the best person to advise as to the actual rules of, of uh, getting a CT head, but they are, there are CT head rules for any traumatic case. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, I guess it depends on your population. And re- realize that the CT head rules, are, they don't really apply for the pediatric population. Uh, they, they, there's their, they have their own rules. Uh, do you have any, I mean, do you see any peds at all? Like oh, I, I do. Actually, yeah, in uh, my office, I see peds. Uh, those are usually hockey injuries is what I see from kids. Uh, as I mentioned, Southwest <laughs> Ontario, lots of hockey. And usually they don't come to your office if they've lost consciousness. They'll be going to the eMERGE, right? Right. Yeah. So I do work eMERGE too, and I do see a few, a fair number of kids who have hurt themselves. Oh, right, right. The other day I saw a kid that there's a trampoline park in Hamilton uh, that he injured himself on. Trampoline park. <laughs> Okay, so yeah. just, just full of trampolines, people jumping around. Exactly, and I think he may have missed and uh, bonked his head on one of the rails. Oh, God. Oh, well, t- t- so how about this? Uh, how, when do you CT a, a pediatric patient? Do you, do you have a specific rule set there or what? Well, the, there's the catch rules, right, for the right. kids that are younger. So the catch rules are defined by both uh, high risk and medium risk, which medium risk you get a CT, but a high risk you probably need a neurosurgeon uh, in addition to a CT. Being in a small town, if somebody has any of the high risk, I would ship them to a location that would have somebody that knows what they're doing better than I. Have you had any high risk? 
I have not had any high okay. risk. So the trampoline yeah. park isn't uh, it doesn't cause high risk injuries, eh? Well, in this particular kid, he was GCS fifteen, okay. didn't actually lose consciousness, didn't have any visible injuries. Uh, he just had a headache, uh, didn't even vomit from his head injury. So, God, it's a uh, you know hard head, hard headed child, the best the, yeah. the best type. <laughs> sure. So so. Again, remember that if somebody comes in with a head injury, you always need to consider whether it should be CT, whether in the office or in, um, in the eMERGE, obviously. And if you're dealing with older people, remember that if they're over 60 years of age, if you look at the CT head rules as well, you're, you're, you should be a bit more liberal with the, with the CT heads, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially if they're on an anticoagulant or anything like that. So, and generally elderly over 60 on anticoagulants, be very, very liberal of this. You should probably see had them um, as soon as possible. Because I, I guess, as you said, you can miss some, right? If, if, you, if you're very strict with the rules. Yeah. But again, if, if you do look at the concussion diagnosis, the SCAT5 is really the only validated tool I, that I could find. Do you know of any others? I uh, know that's the only one I use. Yeah, and and the the, the good thing about SCAD five is they have the on field assessment. So if you're actually a doctor on the field, it takes around five to ten minutes to do. It's a bit it's a bit um, shorter, and if they have the in office ass- assessment, which is a bit longer, it takes around ten to twenty minutes to do total. That includes the history taking, um, and it's great. It's a very good tool. I I do suggest people who have not used it before to take a look. It's free. And it can be downloaded online. It can be filled by the patient and scanned in your EMRs easily. Going back to the CT head rules and just head injuries in general, what are some of the red flags for you uh, in a head injury? That's an easy one because we have handouts we give out in the eMERGE department that I just kind of circle and <laughs> really? give to the patient. So it's uh, basically anything that makes you think there's a space occupying something or other, either blood or crack in the skull. Um that is ma- making more than just a routine headache. So uh, usually I tell patients if there's any blood coming out of anywhere, blood is bad. If there's any fluid coming out of anywhere that shouldn't have fluid coming out of there, um, <laughs> blood is and bad. that's a bad side. Uh, of course, being awake is better than not being awake. Uh, seizures are always bad. If you vomit once, that's fine. If you vomit more than once, uh, that needs to be checked out visual or hearing deficits, you know, and most, most parents especially are uh, keen and they know when something looks funny, you need to be reassessed. Right. I mean, some things are pretty obvious. Like if you're having a seizure, you know that something bad is happening. Interestingly enough, uh, in terms of actual loss of consciousness, if it's less than a minute, and I, I was looking that up, it hasn't really been determined to measure injury severity but if it's more than a minute then there's something bad that's happening so you can have a concussion with loss of consciousness and you may not need a ct scan but it's a bit tricky there right i probably would initially i mean initially i'll probably CT scan everybody until i get a better idea of 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 the presentation so so wahid now you do i guess you do see concussions in the emerge and you'll see concussions as a family doc so what do you in terms of treatment, like what do you do for for your emerge concussions? How do you approach that? Um, it I guess it depends on which kind. So 
if it's a sports related, then I use the sports analogies. But if uh, I've had a few, you know, kids playing at recess or horsing around and hurt themselves, and that makes it a little more tricky because the return to play, uh, wh- what would you consider full game activity, right? But for sp- specific sports, I say uh, you start off with nothing and move forward and uh, each stage requires 24 hours so you go from doing nothing to doing activities that don't include exertion like reading watching tv that sort of thing and then you move to light light exercise heavy exercise contact practice and then game time so if uh, if it's sports related uh, you have about six stages each one takes about 24 hours so the minimum amount of time you need before you can go back to gameplay is about six days unless after 24 hours you're still experiencing symptoms then you go revert back to your previous stage yeah and you know what's what's great about the scat 5 is they have in the addendum they they go through the stages with you so if you're not quite sure you can you can take a look do you have a handout you tend to give patients no i just kind of run through the activities with the parents yeah yeah, so, so if we can simplify it a bit when you're not dealing with a sports-related concussion usually what I suggest what I've read is uh, generally you give them a 24 to 40 hour period of complete or partial rest. That means any type of activity that causes symptoms should be cut out. So phone, TV, music, reading, going out, doing exercise, stuff like that. And after the 48 hour period, I just tell them, I guess, unless it's a sports related concussion, in which case I follow your your protocol, the SCAT5 protocol, I tell them to just play it by ear. If it's something causing a symptom, then they stop doing it. Because there is a bit of evidence that prolonged rest, complete rest, is also bad for you. It can actually prolong the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's usually I do follow them up. Uh, most concussions are over after two weeks, so I, I follow them up in after a week. And if things are going well, I tell them, well, that's okay. And if they're not, I, I follow them up again in a week and then every two weeks to every month until they, the things resolve. Which brings me to my next question, and I guess my next point is there are some patients who are who are, have risk factors for slow recovery who you should be a bit more careful with. And it's things like patients with ADHD and learning disabilities, they tend to do worse Maybe because of the cognitive effects of the concussion. That's what I'm thinking. If you have severe initial symptoms, you tend to do worse as well. If you've had any mental issues in the past or actually migraines, speaking of that, you tend to do worse. And for some reason, teenage girls tend to recover more slowly than teenage boys. And so having said that, Wahid, what are some of the complications of concussions? Well, if anyone's watched hockey in the last few years post-concussion symptoms is what the nhl is uh, talking about uh, more recently is basically ongoing symptoms once what you would think that the concussion duration would have stopped we can also have neurological issues like second impact syndrome leading to neurological decompensations and if anyone knows muhammad ali can get uh, encephalopathic or kind of dementia and Parkinsonism type things from long-term um, concussions. Yeah, because I guess back then boxing was probably a bit more brutal than now. So his brain was exposed to a lot of concussions without even knowing it. I don't. Even, I didn't even know concussions existed in the 60s, I imagine. So, so yeah, just to summarize, you can get post-concussion symptoms. 
which usually symptoms of concussion over 30 days. And and some people can go for months. I had a lady who's, again, ice-related. She she slipped and, and fell right on the ice. Um, we have this thing in, in Ottawa where, you know, it, everything gets iced over, then you get this really fine snow that covers the ice so nobody knows where the ice is the perfect trap for canadians so that's what happened to her she slipped and hit the back of her head and she was she had i think a three to six month course of of complications she's better now but it it can get bad second impact syndrome is from what i understand is if you get hit while the as i mentioned while the your brain is still in the neurotoxic state you can get acute swelling and herniation of the brain you can die or you can become disabled and then the chronic traumatic encephalopathy that's that's what the will smith movie was about and we've had a couple of cases of football players i think i forget their names because i don't follow football but one of them i I had killed himself and they were thinking it was caused by this Um, but yeah it's 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 mostly people who are exposed to a lot of concussions so really people who in sports so is there anything else you want to add about concussions, Wahid? Or do you think we covered everything? I think so. I put a plug to wear your helmets when you're biking, playing sports that <laughs> right. require a helmet. I know there's been a push, especially in the hockey world, of having uh, in contact be moved to an older age and are trying to make the game more safe. Of course, all stemmed when the best player, arguably in the world, Sidney Crosby, went was out for a year and a half with a concussion. People started to take notice. Yeah, it was it was a year and a half, eh? Wow. Well, it was definitely a, a, a one season plus. Jeez, yeah. So, I mean, it, in a way, it's it's bad, but in a way, it, it's good just because of the education happening around things. And I am seeing parents being a bit more weary of the the contact sports but it, it's been interesting to see what happens I'm, I'm not even sure if american football will survive uh, i'm not sure we'll see i don't want to yeah. say anything too controversial on the podcast <laughs> just because yeah, i don't definitely not when we're, uh, a few days away from super bowl sunday <laughs> i predict the demise of american football right on the primary medicine podcast yeah maybe we'll get more rating more clicks so so wahid um, just before we, we we finish off maybe we can talk a bit about our uh, our book and our app uh, so, so if you can go ahead, because Wahid is the major author of this, and I'm really proud of him. And it's uh, well, you did most of the editing. It's true. It was a, it was a, you know, partner partner work, and um, it's it's pretty much. Well, I'll, I'll let you do the pitch because you did it better than me. Oh well, yeah. So our uh, book called the 99, which is for family medicine residents who are planning to take the exam, and I think it's May this year, no, or maybe late April. I don't know. Um, I haven't had to do the exam in quite some time, yes. but in passing that. With the help of the 99. With the help of the 99. Yeah. So we have essentially just made it into a book. It has been updated with the 2017 guidelines that have been updated, such as CHF, uh, atrial fibrillation, COPD was updated this year. Um, of course, hypertension and diabetes are, seem to be updated every year, but it's been updated and we have our app as well for those who would prefer that for an Android device. I have updated the Kindle version as well. So if you have an Apple device, you can get the Kindle version. I think it's about 10 bucks American off of Amazon uh, and free if you have the Amazon uh, subscription for whatever, I think it's $10 a month, but you can download the 
Kindle version, which looks just like the app for the Google version, and it kind of functions about the same. If you want the print version, uh, I have eliminated the black and white version because the color version was uh, able to be printed cheaper this year. So there's only one updated version of the actual print book. Yeah, you're able to to really uh, put put the price down thanks to Amazon. So, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's sort of like the close notes for the for your CF, CFPC exam. I, I think it's it's actually the color version looks great. I think, and it's a great way to support the podcast and uh, to support Amazon as well. Uh, but quite frankly, without them, we would have been able to to sell this book because it would have been really, really expensive. Uh, they have a great program for selling books. So th- thank you so much, Wahid. It's been, it's been great to talk to you again. And hopefully this was helpful to our listeners. And uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. Thanks for having me back.